Let's do the big one. Let's let's get it out. Let's throw it on the table. The SEC summary judgment transcript, which came mm -hmm. out on Monday, and I know which Svelte and I have been on top of, like like fried egg on rice. Oh yes, sir. Yes, sir. We have been on this thing more than we've been on anything in our entire lives. Whoa, 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 whoa! I was married once, so maybe not quite that much. Aha, uh aha. -huh, uh -huh. Well, yes, I. Uh, yeah, I uh, am a recent. Uh, am a recently became a husband as well. So. Oh, so maybe not the thing you've been. Congratulations. Most on. Oh. Well, thank you. Yeah. Well, thank you. I've actually been dating her for longer than uh, than I've been following the library case. Believe it or not. So. <laughs> well, good. <laughs> Nicely. Remember, done. if Mama's happy, everybody's happy. That's right. However, nobody knows how long that is. Uh, that's that's was, you know what? Was that a reference to Dying Light by any chance? Was that a reference to Dying Light by any chance? With regards, no. if Mama's happy, then nobody's happy. No, that's just a southern truism, unfortunately. Basically, yes. Oh, man. <laughs> All right, let's get into this because I know it's going to eat up about thirty minutes. So I I'm I'm ready. In the notes, which will be posted attached to this to the show, we have the earliest I think the earliest post of the transcript available of, uh, that was posted. But it's interesting to note that library themselves ended up posting posting a version as well. So it's on multiple, on the blockchain multiple times, which gives me hope that it will forever be there. Man, this has been quite the thing. Uh, if, you're, if you're looking at the notes as they scroll, there's been a ton of library discussion. Um, the last week of LibraryCom on Twitter, there have been a lot of comments and we're not going to run those down. We're not even going to chase through their stuff. Some of it I agree with, some of it is a little out there, probably as you expect. I, I think we're gonna. I think Svelte and I are gonna keep our comments basically to to our perceptions and what we've seen, and we'd hope that everybody else does the same. Um, unless you got something real juicy, in which case we'll we'll work on it. Svelte, I I mean, we could start at the top. I guess we pretty much have to. What is your overall impression, having read this transcript? How do you how do you feel about the summary judgment in general? Well, I uh, I definitely. Think think that the judge was keeping his cards close to his chest during this transcript. I mean, he didn't he didn't show much favoritism towards either side's argument, but um, he did show some skepticism to a lot of the arguments that were made, um, some of them by both sides. He seemed so, for example, so basically for anybody who's listening who doesn't know, I'm going to go over very quickly what this case is about. Um, the case regards whether LBC being sold is essentially a security financial security, in particular, a particular kind of financial security called an investment contract. And right. um, there is a three-part Howey test, so-called, to determine whether something is an investment contract. And uh, essentially what courts look at is, is there an investment of money with the expectation of profit from the, or is there an expectation of, is there a, an investment of money into a common enterprise with an expectation of profit based on the efforts of others? That's the three that, part. That the common enterprise portion, as well as the expectation of profits from others, are two of the prongs which are very interesting in this. I, I believe those are perhaps the most important too. If you were to ask me, yes, I agree. I agree, and it's unfortunate that library didn't really focus at all on the second prong, the um, common enterprise prong. They pretty much focused virtually entirely on the third prong, um, the expectation of profits based on the efforts of others. The basic argument that library is making here is that um, because LBC has a use case, because the token has utility, therefore um, it doesn't meet the third prong, expectation of profits based on the efforts of others. And in support of this point, it look, uh, they take a look at various cases from property law. Um, there's one case at the Supreme Court level called um, United Housing Group versus Foreman. There are a lot of out-of-circuit cases that deal with this issue and basically um, what a lot of these property what a lot of these uh, uh, property cases where you have the plaintiff trying to prove that the sale of some property is 
constitutes an investment contract. Um, basically, what you have is that if the if the property is marketed towards investors, generally speaking, the uh, property is considered to be an investment contract. And if the property is marketed towards consumers, towards people who actually want to live in the property, then generally speaking, the uh, the property is considered to be a commodity, or it's considered to be the case that people are using it primarily for its utility and not not for investment purposes. Um, as I mentioned, United Housing Group versus Foreman is a Supreme Court case that talks a little bit about this. Uh, there are some out-of-circuit cases like the 11th Circuit case, um, Rice versus Braniger, that talk about this. And um, and I think that, that these property law cases are kind of what, what form the, the base of Library's argument that LBC is not a security. But, but maybe I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. Yeah, but basically... I, I, though I would like to ask a question. There was another case that's not about property law in that sense that came up in the course of the arguments, which was the SEC versus SG Limited. I don't know if you took a look at that. I actually dug up the, the case text on that because I'm sick that way. And it's interesting that it applies to a website that was a Effectively doing a fantasy investment game, uh, which they maintained was created for the personal entertainment of internet users, and therefore the, those shares that it was selling do not implicate federal securities laws. Uh, and that particular case came down to one particular type of sale, not everything that they sold, not the game in general, but one that the uh, that the company uh, SG Limited effectively said you will make money on this investment. This is a baseline. It's it's going to always make it at least this much. That particular part was the bit that the that the, the law picked out as this is a security. The rest of the trading that occurred, which was basically like, um, I don't know if you've ever played Hollywood Stock Exchange, except for real estate, effectively, um, where they give you some, some fake money and you can buy some more money with real cash and theoretically cash out but, you know, you, you trade properties was was their underlying idea. The court didn't say that any of those other operations constituted a, a security, only the one that guaranteed a return based on the fact that, that it was arbitrarily defined as such. I thought that was perhaps the most telling case that was referenced, uh, but no one really talked about it all that much. It was, it was a shame. The judge talked about it a lot, interestingly. The judge talked about it a lot. Neither of the lawyers seem to, to to really want to get into it which is a shame is in my mind that's that's the big one for this particular for this particular question yeah yeah the judge did bring it up at the very beginning of the case and noted that this is what he considers to be the controlling precedent from the first circuit court so um, remember this case is brought before the New Hampshire District Court right. Judge Paul Bar Bar Barbadoro is resi residing and the New Hampshire District Court is subject to the rulings of the First Circuit and SEC versus SG was a case that came out of the First Circuit and um, and yeah I agree with you that um, neither side in particular the SEC wasn't too interested in talking about um, SEC versus SG and I think that a lot of it has to do with um, something that the library lawyer pointed out. Uh, the library lawyer compared SEC versus SG to two Supreme Court cases. These two Supreme Court cases were SEC versus Joyner and SEC, or not SEC, but United Housing Group versus Foreman. And in the Joyner case, essentially what the Joyner case was about was um, a company was selling uh, lots of land, claiming, you know, it, it would sell a lot of land to people and it told them that in this land there was likely to be oil and that they were going to go out and drill oil, the company, and uh, that the person who bought the, the lot of land was going to make a whole bunch of money off of the discovery of oil. And um, and in that case, in the, in, the, in the Joiner case, it was found to be that sales of lots of that kind are securities, whereas in the Foreman case, um, the Foreman case was a low-income housing 
case where people were buying low-income housing and um, and there was a lot of restrictions placed upon the low-income housing. You weren't allowed to sell um, the housing at a premium to another buyer. Um, you weren't supposed to rent out your housing to anybody else. Um, and the court held that that was not uh, an offering of a security. So it compared SG to Foreman and Joiner, and um, basically the judge in the SG case found that the SG case was more similar to the Supreme Court case SEC versus Joiner because they claimed that uh, you know that that the thrill of playing the game is ultimately derived from the possibility of turning a profit in the same way that anybody who gambles might be gambling for the joy of you know of winning the, the and playing the game yes just playing like the game invest in the stock market yes well very much yeah so. but the I think that the idea that the the judge got at in this case is that uh the enjoyment of the game is ultimately secondary to the profit motive in the sense that you wouldn't get the same level of enjoyment from the game if there was no profit motive. The reason why a gambler gets a gambler's high is because there's the possibility that, you know, he's going to win big. And... Or lose big, depending on how weird they are. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But uh, so that was kind of how I understood um, the First Circuit Court's reasoning to be, that if if the consumptive utility is only second secondary to the investment motive, then basically the instrument is a security. But if um, if the if the uh, investment motive is secondary to utility, then um, then you have a commodity or some other form of, of asset rather than a security. Right. Which, uh, as they get into later in the transcript, is a bit of a problem when you have and, and this is true of all things, really, but a particular problem when you get into things which are explicitly hybrid in that it has a utility but it also might go up in value is the purchase immediately definable and derivable as one or the other and as such does the sec have a regulatory interest that that's something that i have to give points to the judge like i thought i was going to go into this transcript and just rip the judge a new one right but it turns out i was wrong my expectation was was wrong i i actually came away thinking all right this is not a guy that lives in this space fair enough but he's asking important questions which are not necessarily getting awesome answers but he's trying and he he's he's very much trying to to get it an answer that accords with precedent which is part of his responsibilities as well as to to understand the problem in order to make a good judgment I, like i wanted to, to really hate him but turns out no nah, I, I think he did okay if if anybody came out like me really hating him it, it it was uh, Jones for the SEC because I his contentions. We'll we'll talk about those in a minute. I, how did you feel about it? Yeah, I mean uh, the judge showed a lot of insight in particular instances. I think in particular, as you mentioned, his recognition that the important thing about this case is that you don't have sort of a homogeneous purchaser. You have different groups of purchasers. Some purchasers buying for consumptive purposes. Some buying for investment. Some probably buying for a mixture of investment and consumptive purposes, whereas in a lot of other cases, you could basically assume that all purchasers had the same motivation. Um, you know, like if somebody is buying, like in the SG case, the assumption was that everybody who's buying shares in SG is buying them. Um, they might be buying them to play the game, but fundamentally, the joy of the game is secondary to the profit motive. So you could make an assumption about every single purchaser, whereas in this case, the important thing is that there are different kinds of purchasers with different interests. Just to be clear um, about the SG case, I don't think that was the finding about all of the offerings that the, on the game in, in question in general, but specifically the one offering which was sold to the to the player base as this is guaranteed to make money. I, the game as a whole didn't get caught, you know, considered a security, but that one offering where the profit motive was transparent and obvious that they called out as a security. Yeah, and I think that's an important point too, because there are there are, even within the library case, there are different kinds of of um, sales that were made. Sales um, and offerings. Yeah, that's that's definitely something that came up a lot, particularly uh, the one to the uh, to the clubs. Uh, what was the name of that club? Oh, uh, it's shit. it's here. It starts with an F. <laughs> 
anyway they were basically um not market makers but but part of part of uh, a, a a separate offering that uh, library made to them as as you know we'd, we'd we'd like to to have some of your 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 money and uh here we'd like to give you some uh we'd like to give you some uh some of our lbc and maybe it'll go up in value wink wink nudge nudge it's it's one of the shadier parts of what library incorporated had got up to and because there's so many parts and fragments that are at play in this case it's it makes it complicated yeah it makes the question uh, does uh does library buy lbc from you can you just cash it as far as i know that like i don't think that they're buying any sec back i mean sec any lbc back from any of the exchanges i'd actually have to look at the uh, the release yeah. balance sheet numbers to know for sure i don't i can't think of an, uh, a situation in which that happened then uh i'd say it's quite sweet towards them you know it's kind of a i mean let's say um csgo scans right you can't just sell them to Valve. You have to sell it to another person. It's the same with crypto. It's it's not like it's there specifically for you to profit off of it. If the price goes up, you could sell it. But then again, it has a different use. It has a welcome to the entire complexity one. of dealing with the Howie test. Um, yeah. I, it's it's a mess, really. I I will say that on page twenty, I. Miller, who was the lawyer for uh, library, uh, a, a quote from him is like, just like any other commodity. And I think we identified an analogy. I don't know if it's a great analogy, but Beanie Babies, Legos, would people argue that those are securities because the value in a market and there are markets out there? I it, It's very gratifying for me to effectively hear my own arguments spoken by a lawyer. High five. Good job, Miller. Yeah, there's something else that I think is interesting, which I'm not going to delve into, but I actually look back the library foundations argument and what you have in the foundations argument they tried to fi to file an amicus brief and uh, their argument was essentially the the rough outline of what ripple's argument ended up being right in terms of you know the, because ripple added an additional argument which is that in order to have an investment contract you need to have a formal contract and that was kind of one thing that the foundation pushed pretty hard on so yeah i think the foundation would have had something to add to this but um but but yeah on that question this is actually something we talked about a little bit um when uh miller talks about beanie babies and then that's the point where the judge gets back at him and says well you know if you were buying if you had cornered the market on beanie babies and you were releasing them to the market the same way that the diamond companies released diamonds to the market you know and he's talking about a case back in the 1990s there were multiple right. lawsuits brought against De Beers which is the primary um, purveyor of diamonds in the world of rough diamonds and um, and this is one point where I was actually a little bit disappointed in the judge because um, the De Beers case the case where the diamond company cornered the market was not a security case case. It was no. a Sherman antitrust law case. It was a case where you had a monopoly in the market. And that's very yep. different from securities laws. And, uh, you know, if you wanted to make the case, it was the library the summer market was cornered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Back in the seventies. Um, um, so, mm -hmm. so the judge kind of got, a, he was a little bit confused there in his law, I think. And that's why I said earlier in the show that I thought he had a little bit to learn, but, um, but yeah, I, I agree with, with Lex here that, uh, that that Beanie Baby Babies argument is a very good argument, and it, as a matter of fact, it's such a good argument that that's basically what the SEC closed its statement by talking about. <laughs> At the very end, they said, uh, you know, there are Beanie Babies in this world, but you know, they're very different from LBC. But, but they never actually made that argument in their in their case. So yeah, um, I, it's it's very interesting that they found that compelling enough to bring up and then basically dismiss it like we don't have an argument. Um, on page forty, and yeah, I'm going to go page references because you haven't seen my personal notes i the the judge has a bit that i think is is worth talking about that he says okay all right so that would be your point lbc's viability only depends on the lbry blockchain continuing to function to the 
extent it fluctuates in price, it's based on speculation because of people who are speculating based on cryptocurrency values. Cryptocurrency as a matter as a sector of a market, say for example, and that isn't efforts of others as meant by Howey. Miller, the lawyer for library response, that's correct, that's correct. I think that's an essentially wrong-headed and bad argument to accept by the library legal team because to the extent that it fluctuates in price, some of it is based on speculation, absolutely. Some of it could simply be based on a change in the perceptual usefulness of LBC as a token within the ecosystem. If suddenly 3 million users pop up and start using library as, as the back end for a, I don't know, a federated messaging system to replace Twitter or uh, an Instagram replacement, whatever, anything. And anybody new brings new traffic to the protocol, the value of the token will go up because of the load on the blockchain. And that increase, that increase causes the value that needs to be extracted for the transactions to go up. Nodes will charge more to update the, to the blockchain because that's, that's the technology. That's the whole system. It's designed to fluctuate in price in order to respond to network conditions at a technical level. That's important to the functioning of the architecture. So to accept that fluctuations occur because of speculation just to try and avoid that prong of Howie, I think is a bit self-destructive. I don't, I don't know. What do you, what do you, how do you feel about that? I thought, first of all, I thought it was just a bad argument in general. I mean, you could make that argument about any stock, right? That, you know, Ford Motor Stock tends to rise with the Dow Jones Industrial Average or whatever. Right. But um, it's, it's also a bad argument because the two sides were very limited in terms of how long their summary judgment motions could be. They were limited to 30 pages. The SEC actually broke that limit and of got away did, with it. Yes. That's not a question. But, but they were limited to 30 pages. And the fact that the that libraries uh, wasted time on that, I think, was um, detrimental to their own case because there were a lot of other things they could have focused on. But, um, but, but, but part of the reason why they made that argument is that, and this is something we could talk about as well. Library did commission an expert report um, on this subject by a guy named Dr. Boris Richard. He works with some economic consulting firm. I can't remember the name of it, but it's supposedly a big name economic consulting firm, and the. His report essentially comes out with two conclusions. The first conclusion is that there was more on-chain transaction volume than off-chain transaction yeah. volume. And the second, the second um, um, result of his study was that he did an event study just basically using a simple regression model in which he found that uh, that libraries' public statements had very little impact on the price of LBC. So I think that's part of the reason why they included the argument because it was in the expert report. Um, but the ex, well, first of all, I don't think they should have included it. And second of all, the expert report has a lot of technical problems, which we can get into. If there are, there are questions about that. That's probably a whole other document that we'd, we we could tear into for an hour from what I looked at it. Because, uh, yeah, from, from technical aspects, uh, from numbers not shaking out, from uh, ideas not really gelling, yeah, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be my favorite expert report, no. No, and the big thing is that any Bitcoin-like cryptocurrency, basically the way it works is that you sum up you sum up previous. If you're trying to send somebody 100 LBC, what happens is that your wallet looks for past unspent transaction outputs that you have, and it might find one for 95 LBC and another for 50 LBC. And now you've got 145 LBC. You send the person 145 LBC, and then you send yourself back 45 LBC as change into a new address, your wallet software creates a new public address and sends the 45 LBC to that new address. And the problem is that essentially um, the Richard report didn't have a good way of dealing with change, how change is dealt with on the on the library network. So um, I think that that's a big problem. I think that if the judge ends up relying heavily on the report, it's just going to drag the case on for even longer because the SEC filed a Daubert motion to try to, to um, exclude the case, and uh, that hasn't been dealt with yet. No, and explicitly, and, explicitly has been brought up at the beginning of the transcript that it is not dealt with, and the things within it will not be part of the judge's disposition in regards to the summary judgment. Right, right. Which means that if the judge ends up relying.
relying on it when he issues a summary judgment, then, you know, they're going to have to go back and, and go through the Daubert motion again and decide whether, you know, the Richard report has anything good in it. But um, but basically, yeah, so I, I didn't think that it was a good idea for library to spend a lot of energy on the argument that, you know, because LBC rises and falls with the market, that that means that you don't have efforts of others. Um, or because there are speculators in the market, that means that library doesn't rise and fall with the efforts of the found of the uh, of the corporation and and explicitly accepting the argument that uh, the, you know the change in in cost is largely if not entirely speculative that's just that's just uh asking for trouble but i'm not sure how big a, an impact that's going to have let's let's talk about page 46 where the sec makes a, an amusing admission and i'll i'll start quoting it's not a joke coin it does have some utility but they created it they created an intangible item called an LBC. They did it for the express purpose of funding the building of their business. They told everyone that's what they're doing. That's what they did. They, like, I have yet to see the SEC put forward a reasonable argument which differentiates LBC from World of Warcraft gold. Gold gold is actually probably worse because there's, there's no limited supply of World of Warcraft gold. They can just turn around, push some buttons, and conjure some more gold tokens into being in response to whatever economic environment they want it to want to have in world of warcraft and yet while gold is not being treated as a security blizzard isn't being hunted down in the streets by the sec even though people have definitely bought it and sold it for speculative reasons and we we have proof of that i mean the whole chinese gold farmer functionality is is speculative reasons in many way i i find this particular line of reasoning from the sec to be absurdly hollow like just stupidly hollow but the the admission the straight up statement from the sec that lbc is not a joke coin kind of made me giggle just a little bit yeah well it's uh agree. it's certainly an admission that it has some utility and, and this is actually another case where uh the library foundation's amicus brief would have been useful because the library foundation noted in its brief that um that you know that it's very difficult to differentiate lbc from a trading card game and this you know so how is uh you know it it, it won't have escaped a lot of people's notice that Mount Gox, which was the first cryptocurrency exchange, the term Mount Gox stands for Magic the Gathering Online Exchange. Right. You know, because because they were it was intended for people to trade magic cards. And what is the difference between Magic the Card Game and LBC? There's no clear difference in my mind. Yeah, aside and from one is on cardboard and one is digital. There's a very clear difference. If Lex wants corset picks of my wife, he can pay me for them in LBC. Are you sure you don't want my black lotus because i i got a couple <laughs> i mean you see we've now just made that more unified so yes no the <laughs> the fact that there is there is a, a very difficult line to be drawn between things that can be created and traded and things that that already have been like it's it's a rough argument for the sec tr to try and make and i, I think from my perspective correct me if this is wrong from my perspective following the line of reasoning that the sec uh creates here is there anything tradable and and original that you could create that the sec would then not consider a security the only cases of that that the sec brings up in this case are cases where the company literally fixes the price right the and, it, and it only has a fixed price and never can change and uh, would we would we call those tethers in the modern crypto parlance? Yeah, I guess. And, you know, it's not even clear that those kinds of things are going to be going to end up being legal under the regulatory framework. But but that's, you know, that I mean, basically, no, I don't think that anything whose price is allowed to float freely. If you could make any argument about the thing having a common enterprise, it would automatically fall under the SEC's jurisdiction. That's why I think the judge realizes how dangerous the SEC's line of arguing argument is. I mean, at one point, he asks the SEC's lawyer, you know, what language should I use in this case to decide whether um, whether 
this thing is a security? Should I say that it's primarily being bought and sold for investment purposes? And the SEC's lawyer basically just says, well, if anybody buys it for investment purposes, even secondarily investment purposes ever, at any point during the offering, the entire offering is a securities offering. And the judge literally says, you don't have a case that says that. That's his words. Yeah. And, And so I don't think that, I think that the judge is highly unlikely to buy the SEC's, like, you know, its argument in 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 its entirety. I don't say that the judge is going to vote is going to come shake out necessarily in favor of library, but I do think that he's quite likely to um, to dismiss the idea that if any person could have potentially bought a good, even secondarily for profit motives, at any point, then the entire um, then the entire offering was a securities offering. I think it's very low probability that he's going to accept that. Um, he may accept some water. Well, yeah, then silver would be a security. Gold would well, be yeah, a security. That's, that's, that's the thing, rather than a commodity. Cars, <laughs> land. There's an exchange on, on page 52. And it, again, if you're following around along in the PDF, I encourage you to. If you haven't read the PDF, I encourage you to. Nothing beats knowledge for having you know informed opinions. I encourage you to. There's an exchange between the SEC and the judge that I think is hilarious. Uh, Jones starts out by saying, I- I'm saying they're not, that they do not, and the, and the judge cuts in, they're not dispositive. They're they're not irrelevant. See, judges, y- you know, maybe it's a fault. Judges like to have standards against which to analyze things. Otherwise, it, it looks like we're just making it up as we go along. I'm trying to have you help me. But yes, Your Honor. And all I can do is just laugh. Laugh, 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 laugh. Because that's the SEC getting as directly told as as possible within the context of this summary judgment that the judge is trying to to entertain their arguments. He's trying to get out there with them. He's trying to give them a fair opportunity and they aren't providing him a standard by which he can make a judgment in their favor. Uh at least at this point on this on this subject. I thought that was I thought that was telling. Yeah, it's very telling and and when finally the SEC gets backed into a corner what they say is that, as I said, if anybody buys LBC at any point in time, even secondarily for profit motive, you know, the, the entire offering is a security. And I think that they're kind of embarrassed by that argument, but it is, I mean, in fact, the argument. It's the they're argument making. they're putting, yeah. Uh, Telemachy says you're only allowed to buy things that you value less than what you pay. And that that is also sort of a interpretive extrapolation of what the SEC is maintaining. It's, it's a very, very strange argument if you just think about it in terms of mandate and government organization. Right. It's especially strange because, you know, this this kind of thing could really backfire on the SEC, even if it succeeded. Like, if you know, if the SEC succeeded with this argument, what could end up happening is that huge swaths of the economy, even outside of the cryptocurrency industry, would end up having to register everything they sell with the SEC. Yeah. Yes. Ammo will become a security. Yeah. It, Guns it, it, will become a security. And, and the, the registration process is complicated and long. Onerous, and onerous to put onerous. it gently. And there's no way that the SEC is ever going to be able to handle the volume of things that would come in that needed to be registered. So it just, to me, their argument seems not just stupid, but also self-destructive in the end. But I also think that the judge realizes that it's kind of nonsensical. I do think that there's some chance that the judge will side with the SEC nonetheless. He could say, well, you know, my common sense tells me that a lot of people buy cryptocurrency for speculation. It's kind of a speculative asset class, and therefore we're going to treat it differently from the property market. In my opinion, the property market is the only market where you have any case law that regards what the judge calls a mixed motive case, where some people are buying. And in general, where you have a mixed motive case in the property market, unless the the advertising was specifically focused at um, investors, the law has come down on the side of of, um, not treating property as a security and, and and um, and and so, you know, the, the naive thing to do for a judge would be to say, well, the property law cases, you know, have generally been um, non-securities. So therefore, LBC should be a non-security. But um, but it is possible that the judge will come back and say, well, yeah, this is what the property law cases say. But LBC is different because LBC is a cryptocurrency and uh, cryptocurrency is just a fundamentally different market than property. And there's a lot more speculation going on. So therefore, you have to deal 
deal with the SEC. I think that's I think that if he made a ruling in favor of the SEC, that's probably what it would sound like. Yeah, um, I think it would have to. I think it would almost have to because otherwise it would end up giving the SEC control over, like I said everything. earlier, large, yeah, virtually everything, and he's not going to do that. Yeah. So I'd I'd like to hear from the rest of you though. Do you uh, did you get a strong feeling either way about which way you think the judge is going to rule or uh, whether you think that he's going to rule or send it to trial? Well, you think that in court at the moment? I'm afraid because he's unclear, it's going to be sent to trial. I think a finding yeah. of fact is probable. That's what I'm afraid. I of. mean, that's like though both sides seem to be happy with the idea that the judge might just rule in summary. So the the question yeah. comes down to whether the judge believes that going to a trial is going to bring out more information from both sides or either side than has already been filed for the summary judgment. And I got the feeling from the early part of the transcript that he really doesn't feel like there's more to be turned over in that sense. There's more to be considered from, from their pockets. Yeah, and there is... I, I, I do think that that's what the judge thinks, but I would like to bring up the fact that there is a third possibility, which is that the judge could rule in favor of the SEC. It could say, well, I think that, you know, LBC is a security, but the case is going to trial anyway, and it's going to trial on the uh, fair notice standard. Because remember that the judge right. can't the judge can't rule in favor of library on the fair notice standard during the summary judgment stage. The, there has to be a fact finding. Um, you know, there has to be a jury trial on the fair notice finding. So, so that is a possibility that he would say, well, it's a security, but I'm not too sure that the library corporation had fair notice. And I think a jury trial is possible, if only because, you know, as much as the judge and the two sides seem to think that the summary judgment is a good idea, there is always the theory that the judge is just trying to buy more time. And if he kicks it to trial, first of all, you know, the two sides are going to have to deal with the Daubert motion on Dr. Richard's report, and that's going to take a long time, and then they're going to have to schedule a trial, and by the time it's all done and over with, maybe the judge is hoping that, uh, you know, that the Ripple case will be decided, or the new Congress will be in session, and some new law will be passed into into the law books, but... I, it's um, interesting to, you know, like, as a strategic concern, that's perfectly reasonable. I actually would understand his position. I wouldn't share it, but I would understand his position in that context. Context. But he seems to have some some ideas that are are very I won't say telegraphed, but they're there to read. Like um, page sixty four, sixty five, end of sixty four on beginning of sixty five. He's talking to the SEC lawyer, and he starts with he starts with something which is very technical and is something that there was some question about whether he understood earlier. Uh, the, the quote goes: "It seems an essential part of an operation of blockchain that you have to incentivize people that validate blocks of the blockchain." chain, and the way in which it's been traditionally done is through a digital asset. Is there, in the SEC's mind, a way in which the that library could operate the library blockchain using LBC as a digital asset that would not qualify LBC as a digital asset, as a security? So, excuse me. And Jones, the SEC, replies, Your Honor, I want to be very careful for this answer. I am not a commissioner appointed by the Senate. I am not a policymaker. I am a lowly trial attorney, enforcement attorney who's in charge of enforcing the law as it stands now. And the judge replies, well, let me just suggest, because I'm none of those things, I'm not even a lowly SEC attorney, I'm lower than that, couldn't they operate as pocket full of quarters and use LBC in the same way that a token in pocket full of quarters was used, which generated an SEC no action letter? And that is a specific case in which the SEC looked at it and said, nah, we're not going to get involved in this, which seems kind of uh, rare, but there you go. Jones replies, Your Honor, to answer as honestly as I can without making any policy for the commission, I believe there are probably several ways that are all focused, that all are focused on the Howey test. And if you can disqualify yourself from a certain part of the Howey test, then all things being equal, you're probably operating in a way that would be allowed. I would, and, and that's the, the last bit of the quote I'm going to go into. So essentially, and I want to be clear about this, the SEC through the proxy of their lawyer maintains that the only way for a token to not be regulated as a security is for there to be absolutely, positively, no way to run a business attached to it. Because in the very moment that anyone runs a business attached to it, the creator's on the hook, even if they have nothing to do with the business, or even if their personal business in terms of interaction with that technology is consultation and development, 
it just like anyone else could do. That is, they're on the hook for all the regulatory costs. And frankly, personally, I don't see how anyone can't see that this is ludicrously stupid. Like it's just in terms of overreach, in terms of regulatory capture, the the fact that two things, the SEC cannot in any way say, all right, here's what we need for you to not be in violation of our view of securities. They can't simply come forth and say that, which is what you need for a regulated, governmentally regulated industry. And their definition would literally make it impossible to run a business involved in basically crypto exchange at any level, even internal scorekeeping for, all right, you're, you're running a server for us. So we'll give you some of this, this, this number ticking up and we'll pay that out somehow as some other mechanism. There's no way. And, and the, uh, that Jones effectively dodges the question of how anyone could do it in a positive, in a, in an effective manner, steps aside and basically says, well, if you to follow the Howey test, when the essential question from the judge is, so how could someone actually not fall or run afoul of your interpretation of the Howey test? The, the, the lawyer falls back and says, there's, there, there are, I, I can't come up with a way and it's not my job to figure out a way. Ha <laughs> ha. Yeah, I also like it how he says that he's not a uh, commissioner appointed by the Senate. As yeah. if, you know, if Gary Gensler was there, he'd be any more clear than <laughs> because no, Gary Gensler no. has given no clarity on this yeah. point. I, I kind but, of feel yeah. for the lawyer. He's kind of in a hosed hole here because the SEC as an organization has provided him no guidance to make this argument. So he can't and he can't make policy <laughs> either. He's just kind of fucked. Right. And basically the only way. I think the this yeah, the only way that the SEC has uh, has given clarity about how you could possibly run a blockchain company legally is since 2019, they've issued some no action letters, including this pocket full of quarters, no action letter. And basically what these tokens are, I hate to even call them, they're not public decentralized blockchain tokens. They're blockchain tokens. They use the blockchain data structure, but they're centralized by design where you they're can token. get. I mean, it's, it's a token. It's just, you have to remember a blockchain is just saying it's somebody else's database. It's a database that keeps track of a number, that keeps track of an ownership attached to an account of a number. That's that's all a token is. So in that sense, these are absolutely tokens, but they're not used for exchange outside of that. Right. And there's, they're not, there's no level of decentralization at all. I mean, if you, basically what the SEC lawyer is saying is your blockchain can't both be decentralized and have a company that's involved in improving it. If you have both of those things, it's automatically a security. That's the way I understand it. I mean, it's, I, I think it, that's it, a fair assessment of, of what they're saying. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, I, I just think that, I don't know, the judge might end up siding with the SEC, but the more that I read and the more that I think about it, the more that I think that, uh, you know, there's just, there's actually a fair amount of precedent in not necessarily in the first circuit court, but in out of circuit court cases, like in the 11th circuit court, a case called Rice versus Braniger, um, a few other property law cases where judges have have essentially found that, you know, in cases where um, you have a mixed use case item, you look more or less at the marketing materials. And uh, and I think that there's a good chance that the, uh, the, the judge in this case rules in favor of library just on the basis of the fact that uh, that LBC was marketed or the library network in its entirety, including LBC, was marketed primarily for its consumptive purposes, not for its investment uses. So not for its gambling I mean, purposes. I, I you know, I think this makes a lot more sense if instead of saying, you know, speculative, we just say gambling and a lot more things fall into place rationally and conceptually. But of course that's not language that they want to use because it is too clear. Yeah, just like uh this judge would understand ledger better than blockchain. Oh yeah. Yeah. He's he's used to financial stuff, not too used to technology. You know, it's it's this is a very interesting case. And it's not often that we have the guts of a transcript to go on. And basically, by the way, this show is going to get split into two posts. It's going to happen. So, you know, we're, we're, we're going long, but it doesn't matter. I'm going to split it into two posts. Yeah, it will be part one and part two, because there's a couple more yeah. things in the in the transcript I 
want to touch on. Mm-hmm. And it's literally just a couple more things. Um, also, after that, can we cover Quit of the Week next? I guess. But yeah, the first, first, we're going to finish this up. Um, okay. Page 76 and 77, I think, are really interesting. And this goes back to something that we were talking about earlier. And I think something that Svelte is going to, to really enjoy and understand taking apart. Because this is where, this is where Jones effectively proves to me that the man has never owned a house that he actually had to pay for. Okay, so specifically, the quote goes, uh, the, the judge brings up, if you if you have, if you think you, you know that rather than rent a house, I'm going to buy a house because over time I'm going to make some appreciation on the value of the house or maybe it's a hedge against inflation or something else. It's primarily, I want to live in it, you know, but houses are under the family resemblance test. They wouldn't be investment contracts necessarily. But the point is that there are things that people want to acquire both because they have some investment value, but principally because they have some consumptive value, which are not going to satisfy the Howey test. And then Jones comes back with, absolutely, Your Honor. And I would say in most of those circumstances, it's going to fall on a different part of the Howey test, before fail on a different part of the Howey test before you even get to expectation of profits. Your house is not a common enterprise. Right. And then we get to the bit, which is, is the maximum stupid. And to the extent it goes up in profit, it's because possibly you improve it. So I would say there's absolutely are, Your Honor. There are beanie babies in the world, but they're not LVC. And And again, this is excellent proof that Jones of the SEC has never actually bought and held a house because the primary reason the value of a house goes up is because the value of the surrounding houses have gone up because of changes in land use and zoning and the spread of nearby businesses, the town annexes you. The land itself becomes more valuable. (laughs) The place becomes more valuable. And so the value you could realize by selling it goes up. And at best, home improvements generally manage to keep the value of a house from dropping rather than causing it to go up unless you start with a truly shitty house right but if you're building your own house like if you've you've added value and then it you're you're maintaining that value um not a lot of homes go up beyond the Even value of the surrounding properties maintenance on the house it, yes it goes up yeah well um, and so does so you does your investment to try to improve it but it, like the cynic might suggest that if you use a third-party contractor to do the the maintenance labor that doesn't necessarily make the house a security just because there's now a third-party interest like if i say hey, you know what i'm going to contract out uh you know maintaining my garage that doesn't mean just because there's now a third party involved that it's that it's a it's a public utility. I just, the, the whole line of reasoning hurts me. It just hurts me. And then they get around yeah. to talking about beanie babies, <laughs> and then throwing it away. Just 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 pull it out, and throw it away. Yeah, I thought that was telling that they bring up beanie babies once, and it's just to dismiss the argument. But 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 what the SEC lawyer is basically doing here is ignoring the many precedents, out of circuit precedents, but still you know precedents from other courts in the United States dealing with. Um, um, whether properties can be considered securities. And usually the common enterprise in property law cases is um, some sort of homeowners association, like often right. a condo association, um, which performs maintenance not only on the publicly shared areas, but often on the condos themselves and is largely re- responsible for maintaining and increasing their value. Um, and this is why this is why some of these out-of-circuit cases, like I've brought up Rice, Rice versus Braniger before, so important because what Rice versus Braniger was all about was you had this condo developer called uh, Braniger Corporation, I think, and it was developing all of these condos in an association and people who bought condos in the association, it could be argued, were relying on Braniger to increase the value of the condos. Um, And effectively, what the judge said in that case is that, well, yeah, the price could go up based on the efforts of Braniger. Corporation, but that doesn't matter because you haven't proved that people are actually buying these houses for speculative purposes, even right, though right. we know that some people definitely do buy condos 
for speculative purposes. I mean, you don't just buy the condo and and sit on it and wait for it to go up in value. Usually you're renting it out to people, but the amount of rent you can charge and the amount that you can earn on the secondary market when you sell the condo eventually, potentially, the, the amount that you can rent it for and the amount that you can eventually sell it for are largely based on the efforts of the uh, condo association, which is the common enterprise in this case, uh, arguably. So I think that, yeah, you're right. The, the SEC tried to sidestep that question. They say, well, you know, you could do work yourself and then there wouldn't be expectation of profits based on the efforts of others. Um, of course, you know, that's kind of ridiculous because in a lot of cases, your, your property is going to go up almost regardless of the amount of work you put into it. Also, a lot of these homeowners associations, especially in like senior living areas, um, they do a lot of the maintenance for you. Oh, yeah. So it's it's not so, so I just don't see how the SEC could or how the judge could rule in favor of the SEC sort of without either saying that, you know, there, there's something special about the crypto market that makes it more like a securities market or failing that without basically including a large portion of the property market in uh, the remit of the SEC. Right. And Fishface yeah. on on the Odyssey stream uh, points out something, you know, quite telling and, and on point. There have been things like forestry schemes where you buy a plantation, a stand of, of trees and technically have the right to harvest it yourself for whatever purpose. Um, and, but in reality, that's, you know, you're never personally going in to harvest it and it's treated as such. I, you know, that that's um, it's like differentiating on whether you do it yourself or whether you do a, a, have a third party do it is always it's a weird decision. Like it's 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 a weird place for the SEC to take, especially for securities. I don't I just, the SEC isn't helping themselves is really the problem here. There there are ways that we can imagine and have discussed that the SEC could make harder arguments, but they they I don't know. I, I don't know what's going on with them. Yeah, I mean if you just said you know well yeah crypto is just fundamentally different from the housing market. It's a more speculative asset class. An argument like that, I wouldn't find it persuasive, but I can see it. It's an argument that actually makes sense. I mean, basically, the way that the SEC has argued its case has made it very, very difficult for the judge to rule in their favor because if the judge did rule in their favor, the precedent it would set would affect not only the entire crypto market, but large swaths of basically every market. And uh, and and I think the judge is aware of that. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I don't know. The, the, the SEC really painted itself in a corner a few times. and um, But I can see why the judge is having a hard time with the case, too, because he didn't fully find Library's arguments to be satisfactory either. He seems to think that you need to look beyond just the uh, promotional materials to determine whether there's an expectation of profit, but he doesn't know where to look to find that evidence. Right, he, and and I don't know if he's fully committed to that as as a true statement either. It comes up several times in the transcript of that, you know, okay, in the promotional material, this is specifically what it says, and that is not, you know, that's no promise. That is, you know, this is explicitly what it says, and the SEC frequently says, well, you have to look beyond the promotional material, the judge comes back and says, okay, so where do we look? And and the SEC Jones doesn't have an answer to that question, which I'm sure is not doing their case any good in front of him. No, especially when you consider that really the only other evidence that has been presented on this score was Dr. Richard's report, which for all its flaws would seem to show that LDC is used more often on-chain than off-chain. So, I mean, if, you, if you're going to leave the judge without anywhere else to look for evidence, you know, the most natural place to look is going to be at your opponent's um, expert report. Right. It's, it's um, That's where you should be. You know, they brought that evidence. You might as well use it. Yeah. And, and the other thing is that, you know, in if you assume that our society has the rule of law, we assume that we have functional courts. It is always the burden of the prosecution to bring evidence to bear against the witness. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I hope that if what the judge finds is, you know, it might be true that LBC is a security, but I just haven't been provided with any evidence that it is. And it might be true. It might be true that some of the offerings that Library Incorporated uh, offered to people themselves are specifically security contracts, and LBC itself is not a security. That that's also a finding that could be made. Right, and I think that it's just it could 
ultimately just come down to the fact that the SEC basically provided almost no evidence in this case. Oh, their entire case is based around a few library promotional materials where they said, well, the price of LBC could go up in the long term. That's basically their entire case, along with a few things like that sketchy um, sale that library made in 2017 to uh, that crypto club. I can't remember the name of it. But, <laughs> it starts with uh, an F. That's all I can remember. It's it's yeah. it's like three uh, syllables. Yeah. 1.1 million LBC for Turner 60 grand. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, it's, it's, it's a value. That, that was it, yeah. Right, right, yeah. And uh, they made a few other sales, like like they promised uh, the Pillar Capital, which is a venture capital firm, that Pillar could switch its traditional debt instrument for LBC if it wanted to. And unfortunately, that contract has a lockup period, which could be used as evidence that something is a security if you're barring people from using it for a full year. But, um, but I think that the crux of the case the judge recognizes is really the secondary market sales. And so, you know, even if the judge decides that some early sales to, uh, you know, these various firms are, are, uh, are, are sales of a security, I think he, it's an uphill battle to argue that all of the sales of LBC fall within a single public offering that occurred over the course of six years. Yeah. I don't, uh, I don't think that's a case that they've actually made. And I think it would be very difficult for the judge to find that way. There's one last bit. And we, we've talked a lot about what the SEC has said in the case of the transcript. But on page 81, the uh, the attorney for library, Miller, has this this bit and I, I think it's it's telling. Now I will say up front, throughout the transcript, I don't think that library's counsel has been as eloquent or as forceful or as as disputive, even as the SEC. Um, I think their, their, their lawyer has done a better job in that sense. He has spoken at length. He may have said stupid things, but he said them well. Miller, on page 81, gets in what I think is really kind of a telling point. I, it starts, I think, Your Honor, we're struggling with dual purposes. The reason you don't have those cases, referring to cases that didn't come, like that the SEC did not bring, is because the government usually passes on those cases because they recognize, well, people can disagree on whether it's investment or whether it's use. We're not going to go prosecute that case. For some reason, they made this a case. And we think under Howey, it's progeny, the First Circuit case law of SG, that this does not constitute, that library credits do not constitute securities. That's that's the the run of his quote. I think it's a pretty I think it's a very specific finger on the pulse of the problem. The SEC chose this fight. They chose this fight to take where they chose otherwise in other cases with mixed use. That wouldn't be a problem if they had made the case specifically about the interaction with the crypto clubs, which we talked about before. They may have supported that argument that those were security offerings, but they made the scope of the attack more broad than they can reasonably support, at least under Howie. Miller specifically goes after the key element that he wants to pursue as the linchpin to the argument that LBC does not constitute a security. And I think it's interesting that he isn't talking about the interaction with the market makers or the investment clubs here. Those would be a more difficult ground to have the fight. We already talked about that. But because the SEC broadened their attack to LBC in general, he can fight that fight because they open that ground. He's not as eloquent as, as Joe but he's putting his sword tip in the right place. He's got he's got the weapon of his argument pointed in the right direction. I'm not sure he can can sink it home. I that remains to be seen. As as we've said, talking about this transcript in general, there are there are a lot of questions, and and a lot of them center around what the judge understands and how much he's willing to risk politically, socially, and legally setting a precedent or whether he just keeps dodging until he can he thinks he can get around it um i don't know i don't i don't think we've got enough i don't think we've got enough to go on to really reveal what his thoughts are but i think it's it's really interesting that that miller specifically went after the the statement of library credits constituting a security yeah i think it's uh it's interesting i mean the cases that he's referring to that the sec failed to bring are um in general 
You know, the thing is that LBC, again, is not the first good in the world that people could buy both for speculative and investment purposes. Correct. The fact is that there are a lot of goods that people buy for both speculative and investment purposes, and in particular in the property market. Um, you buy property for both speculative, for both, sorry, speculative and consumptive purposes. But, but uh, you know, but the SEC has generally not brought those cases largely because they know that trying to bring the property market under their purview would be political suicide, that that's never going to happen. You're never going to have everybody registering their house with the SEC before selling it. It's just never going to happen. So they haven't no. brought those cases. There's, there's the, also the, the fact that the other side that it would reach into would be the commodities market, which already has a government organization, which is in charge of, of policing that. And that would just start getting into a serious pissing match. Uh-huh. FTC versus SEC. That'd be a good case. <laughs> yeah, CFTC versus SEC. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, and and Gary Gensler's big solution to that is that he thinks that assets can be both commodities and securities. So he wants people to register with both agencies, which isn't going to happen. That'll I don't never think. happen. Nope. No, that would be way too complicated. But in any event, yeah, you know. So the thing is that the SEC hasn't brought a lot of these cases, but there have been organizations that have brought cases against. Um, property developers saying that the property developer provided the common enterprise and that uh, you know people were buying property to invest and to use. And in general, the court has sided against those kinds of arguments unless, again, the property was being specifically marketed towards um, investors. So yeah, I, I think you're right. It's a, it's a very good point that he made there. And, and I find it to be persuasive, but ultimately what matters is what the judge thinks. And uh, I don't, I don't, from this transcript, I don't have a good understanding, really, of what the judge thinks. So we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, and I, I don't think we can. But that's that's we've got what we've got, and I think we've we've definitely I, uh, cut through it. You were going to say something? Well, yes, sir. I could pretend I'm very smart, but I won't. I'm uh, quite stupid. I represent the uh, sub-90 IQ crowd, the normie, so to say. Uh, what I got from it is that it could set a bad precedent if it were to pass. They could go for um, for more uh, broad cases. Um, for example, they could go for property. That would be quite worrying. That would be, uh, and would, it would be overreach of the most interesting kind. We would, uh, we would have to suddenly lose all our belongings in a tragic boating accident. <laughs> I think we would have to lose their belongings in a tragic boating accident. Yeah. Like a helicopter accident. Not wrong. But um, I, I think he's going to rule it towards um, Library Foundation because I'm I'm optimistic. and uh, Library Incorporated. Let's be clear about the, the organizations involved. Library Incorporated is party to the case. Library Foundation attempted to file an amicus brief to, to sort of uh, as an advisory. That, that didn't happen so uh, yeah, yeah. No, it's Library Incorporated specifically who are in play. But yeah, it's it, it, Hilamaki says why not turn the tables on the SEC and seize power as regulatory authority over government commissions? In theory, that's what the U.S. populace has. Um, in the sense of electoral power over their, you know, over Congress and Congress is supposed to oversee these regulatory bodies uh, in line with the the will of you know their constituency. In practice. Well, the regulatory state's a good time. Anyway, I think we've I think we've beaten this about as much as we can. I'm gonna have a fun, fun editing session, let me tell you that. I'll post it in two parts. I know Sandro wanted to talk about the creator of the week, so we'll do that and then we'll yep. shut down. How about that? Does that sound good to everybody? Cool. Yeah, yeah. All right, Sandro, you have the floor, good sir. Tell us about the creator of the week. So this week's quote of the week is lack of entertainment. Uh, uh, so they are a political and gaming commentator, uh, and they are a kind of VTuber because um, they use a kind of avatar in their videos. Cool, that's it. Uh, coolest thing they had posted. Um, I'll be honest, uh, a lot of this is political content, um, which was voted for by uh, the great verified creators. So um, 
I haven't really got a favorite uh, video of this uh, channel. Um, All right, call Sandra yeah. a slacker again, everybody. He was late and he didn't do his homework. Oh, did the dog eat it? But yeah, uh, so this is clearly very politically based content um, with a kind of touch of gaming, I guess. Uh, although it does seem to be definitely more culture war issues. I don't know anybody that does stuff like that. Anyways, cool. Well, what what do they get for saying all the gamer words? They, they apparently <laughs> get the attention of the creator of the week. What do they get for being creator of the week, Sandro? They get 50,000 LBC uh, support on their channel. That is already applied. Um, they get a post from the Creators Council, uh, which I'll post in the chat in a second, because uh, that's out as well. They get a tweet from us. I retweet on my personal account as well. Uh, they get a post on the uh, Library Foundation Reddit, which I repost to the Library subreddit as well. Uh, so they get a lot of promotion and uh, some LBC behind their channel. Fantastic. Yes, well, even more stuff this week. <laughs> I think that does it for us. Uh, Svelte, I just want to mm -hmm. say thank you directly. I appreciate the fact that you've set aside so much time for us and uh, done done all the, the background work. I know we're going to we're gonna meet again. We're going to have more stuff to do. Oh, yes, I'm sure. And I'd like to thank you, Lex, and um, everybody else on the show for, for having, uh, for, for bringing your own views on the subject. And uh, I'd like to thank everybody who, uh, especially who went through the headache of reading the transcript, because it was not an easy read at some times. It was, uh, it was yeah. dense in Much places. I've, heard, I've seen worse. Farmer Josh, thank you for showing up, too. One of the, one of the thank can you, I, Sandra, Can I give yes. a last note? Yes. Go ahead. Um, Throw it in. One thing I forgot to mention to everybody, uh, you can uh, suggest Quake of the Week candidates in the Quake of the Week suggestions channel. There wasn't really much activity in there right now, uh, so it'd be cool if some of you over on the Discord can um, suggest some of that, your favorite um, library creators, and uh, if some people on the council like look at the content, then um, they uh, could nominate uh, that creator for Quake of the Week. Fantastic. Krev Telemaki, also, also thanks for being here. Say again. Also, can I remind uh, viewers uh, that the Creators Council, the way that the voting works is um, uh, individual members of the Creators Council nominate creators. Uh, so it's not the uh, the views of a certain creator are not the views of the Creators Council or the Library Foundation. They are the views of the creator. Uh, yes, yeah, so, all yeah. right. Remember, they are not responsible for anything that you may see. There yeah. you go. You yeah. are solely responsible for the things that go into your eye holes. And they said the a lot say. of gamer words, didn't they? Yeah, a lot of gamer words. Yeah, and um, yeah, I I didn't nominate them. Um, Either yeah, way, but, uh, you have to respect those all and um, just yeah, just uh, yeah, they're the quote of the week this week, I guess. Right. So next week we'll be back with well, I don't know something. Hopefully not not quite as much freaking news as this week. I like half this amount would be good, but you know what? We'll be here and hopefully John yeah. will be back next week to uh, help mm -hmm. entertain you and, and keep us on track. Holy Christ, next please week, God. Awesome. Next, next week we're going to be talking about how uh, Lex is getting banned. Yeah, that's what, that'll be that'll be fine. Uh, that will yeah, happen just yeah. long enough for to resolve when the Jackbox game is. If you want any more library community podcast stuff, uh, check back on the channel uh, last week. It was also a pretty busy week, uh, so we've had a lot of news recently, haven't we? So um, go and check that out if you want. To, if you have cravings for more community podcast content, again. ladies and gentlemen, I think it's safe to say that Sandro's pull-out game is not clean. Uh, but we're done for the day. We will catch you Did next week. Out? Next week, 2 p.m. Eastern UTC minus four or whatever it is in your weird UK time with your offset. Actually, I think yeah. uh, next week uh, I end up falling back an hour. So, you know what? Mm -hmm. It's it's time. Just look for the event. The event yeah. on the Discord will be set to the right time. And until yes, then, I will remember that. I will, use, I will use events next time because uh -huh. I am too dependent on remembering the time. And I was uh -huh. like, yeah. Until next yep. time. So next week. I want you all. <laughs> I want you all to do something exciting. Take pictures or write it down, post it, mm -hmm. and come back and tell us about 
about the cool thing that you yep. did because when you do that it makes it cooler for all of us until next week want pictures of what's exciting. well i see it's the corset wear over there all right hands in the air everybody we're gonna say bye wave your hands bye. Bye. may we bye. know bye. meet again